This is Laura from the Peaceful Life Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 251, Top 5 Movie Casts. McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. We have spent a big portion of season eight around here looking back at films that are celebrating major milestones, but it's not just movies that are celebrating anniversaries. Oh no. Before we get into our show this week, I wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to my good buddy Derek and his lovely wife Kay. Who have been, she's been on this podcast before. They also are celebrating a major milestone. Yesterday was their 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Yes, Derek, you, congratulations, buddy. Yep, thank you. I, I, I joke, I said, uh, you know, if on our wedding day, instead of marrying me, she had killed me, she would have got out of jail yesterday. So there we go. I'm glad you didn't kill me. One way to look at it, I guess. (laughs) I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but people always ask me, what's the secret to a long lasting, happy uh, relationship? And I said, I'll tell you, it's two TVs exactly the same size. (laughs) When we first got together, we had a 13 inch and a 27 inch and we were constantly fighting. Then we got a second 27 inch TV. No more fighting. Then we upgraded one of them to a 60-inch. Now they were two different sizes again. We were fighting again. Got a second 60-inch flat screen for the basement. No more fighting. So secret to a happy, successful marriage, two TVs, exactly the same size. Your marriage will be great. Proving once again that size matters. Oh, my, my, my. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's what makes you happy. All right. Now, movie anniversaries aren't the only thing that we do around here, you know. So this time around, it's time for us to do a topic you know, instead of a movie review. So Derek and I thought it would be worthwhile to take a look at some of the greatest sort of ensemble movie casts of all time. And we're each going to run down our top five movie casts for this episode. But first, Derek, what pop culture can you educate me on before we get to our top five list this week? All right. So we're going to take a little bit of a meandering path for this one, a little different than usual. So first we'll be simple. We had a chance to go to the movie theater and we saw John Wick 4 starring Keanu Reeves. I have not seen a single John Wick movie. So Wow, that is a travesty. Uh, I don't even know what it is. Is, a, is it like a action-adventure kind of thing or something? So the, the way I've heard this genre described is gun-fu. It's this combination of martial arts and gunfights, and it's all action, but the story is fantastic. It's like the simplest story, but it's done in such an amazing way. The fight sequences are awesome. The choreography is amazing. Uh, I'm not really like a, you know, a Kung Fu movie kind of guy, but oh my God, these are so good. This fourth installment was fantastic. Uh, we actually binge watch 
one, two, and three on the Friday, and then Saturday we went and saw part four. So everything was fresh. It's long. It's almost three hours long. So just prepare yourself for that. But uh, no, it was great. So if you if you enjoy the previous John Wick films, you're getting more of the same. I'm fairly confident you'll be happy with that one. So I have a question. So this John Wick phenomenon that's out there is it based on some sort of intellectual property? Like is it from like a comic book or nope. like a graphic and just written for the screen? Nope. Completely original. Oh. Uh, as far as I understand, it's a completely mm. original story. It might have been. I mean, you know, with a lot of these sort of martial art types movies, it's like, oh, this was inspired by this classic, uh, you know, kung fu movie from the 70s or the 80s. It, th- that's entirely possible. I don't know the background, but I know it's not a comic book. It's not based mm. on a novel. It's not based on a pre-existing TV show. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, mm. it's fantastic. So. Check it out. Okay. I would say if you haven't seen any of them, definitely check out the first one. It should be very readily available on one of the streamers. And um, if you enjoyed it, just fire on part two. It's uh, yeah, it's it, this this series sells itself once you right. get into it. So that was my that. that was my uh, my new movie. Okay. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about TV, and then I'm going to circle back to an older movie that I watched. Sure. So as I mentioned, I like where this podcast, is going. So as I as, as I um, mentioned on the last week's podcast. My wife and I now have a, a temporary subscription to Apple TV. It's a 90-day subscription. Ted Lasso just started, so we thought this was a good time to jump back into the Apple TV pool. And so, of course, in addition to keeping up with the new episodes of Ted Lasso, which have been great so far, we've now had a chance to start binging other shows. So um, one of the shows that I had watched last year when we had our, our pass was a show called For All Mankind, and it's uh, sort of a revisionist history. What if the Russians had beaten the Americans to the moon in 1969, and how would America have changed? What sort of political changes would have happened? What sort of technological – how would industry have been motivated differently if they were in a position of second place? And it's fantastic. The show is great. If you're at all like a nerd about NASA and science and planets and other space stuff, this is really, really good. Uh, so the season three came out uh, in the last year. But since I just got my subscription back, I had to binge through season three and it was excellent. Super good. So highly recommend that one for me. Then there's another newer show that just started on Apple TV uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, the full season one is now completed and it's called Shrinking. Mm. And it's about psychiatrists. It stars Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford, uh, along with a few other people you might recognize. I sort of recognize them, but I don't know all their names. Ted McGinley's in it, small mm-hmm. part. Um, it's great. They're 30-minute episodes. I think there's 10 episodes in season one. I started watching it yesterday, and I've watched eight episodes already. It's fantastic. So shrinking on Apple TV, if you got it, take a look. I think Stick, stick a pin in that one. Where I'm going to surprise you with something. Okay, okay. okay. And then... Uh, the Mandalorian is uh, showing its new season now. Season three is halfway through. And uh, the episode that was just on this week, episode five, was called The Pirate. And my good friend, Paul Hung Lee, who plays Carson Teva, is like a major character in this week's episode. So spoiler alert, people haven't seen it yet. But uh, it was it's always great when he makes appearance. He's been on the show a few times, but usually in a very small role or like in the cockpit of an X-Wing fighter. But he actually got a chance to have a have a moment and you get to see him interact with some of the other characters on the show and he gets to interact with the mandalorians and he had a really big part this week so i was very happy for his success and uh it it actually happened on the day wednesday was my wedding anniversary that's the day the episode dropped and Polly was in my wedding party so when i was posting things on social media this week i'm like hey you know here's some pictures of the groomsmen i'm like you recognize this guy he was in the mandalorian this week so yeah that was was pretty cool yeah no i'm very happy for him so and then I want to circle back to the last movie. Okay, sure. so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a left turn, but I'm coming right back. So 
if I tell you the name Jerome Bixby, do you know who that is in the world of science fiction? Jerome Bixby? No, I don't. So Jerome Bixby is a science fiction author and uh, is known primarily for a, his very prolific writing career. But he also wrote for the screen and he wrote some of the most popular and memorable episodes of the original Star Trek. He wrote the episode Mirror Mirror, which has like the evil Kirk and the evil Spock with the beard and stuff. Um, And um, he also wrote some of the segments for the Twilight Zone TV show. And he's he's really highly respected or was. I mean, he's deceased now, but in the science fiction community. Well, he wrote a screenplay that didn't actually get shot until 2007. And it's called The Man from Earth. And it very much is like a stage play. It all takes place in one room of this cottage. The idea is he's a university professor and he's been at this university for like 10 years and he's decided to just go somewhere else. He's decided to just pick up and leave, go to go to a different school and, and uh, you know, go on a new adventure. And so he's having the farewell party with his colleagues. And during this party, he decides to reveal to them that he is actually 10,000 years old. And of course, they don't believe him. So then he reframes the he says, like, well, no, I'm not 10,000 years old. But what if I was what if I was writing a book about it? How would we make this believable. And of course, the other professors that are there with him, his peers, it's like there's an anthropologist, an archaeologist, a biologist, a theologist. And so they all have their own perspectives based on their expertise of how could this be possible? And so as they're telling him how they think it would be possible, he's interjecting with some points that they are all able to validate. And so through the course of the show, you're like, is he really 10,000 years old or is he really just selling them this song and uh, it's it's it was fascinating considering that it's a dialogue driven stage play type movie it it just blew me away i i loved it and so it's called the man from earth i think it was on amazon prime if i remember correctly um I, yeah it's it's not like any science fiction show you've seen but uh if you're a, a fan of like classic sci-fi you'll probably dig it. Like you'll know in 10 minutes if you're going to like it or not. And all of the supporting cast are people you recognize from other things. The guy from the greatest American hero is one of the professors. Um, so it's like, like William cat. You mean? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. He hasn't been working uh, much. So there you go. No, but it's like some of the other characters you're like, Oh, I recognize that guy. Oh, I think I know where that guy's from. So it's like, I don't know any of the names of any of the performers, but they're famous enough that you're like, okay, I'll give this 10 or 15 minutes. And yeah, it was really good. So anyway, called the man from earth. So, Cool. That, that's my what have I been up to this week. So let's circle back to shrinking. Okay. Some people have this crazy notion that I'm stuck in the past, Eric. Don't know where it they get this impression from. Yeah, no idea where they come up with that idea. So back in my day, you know, watching TV was a completely different experience, needless to say. Like rather than binge watching everything, you actually had to wait a week between episodes. I know that sounds crazy you know, to today's generation, but like things were on at a certain day and time, like happy days was on ABC Tuesday nights at eight o'clock. You missed it. You missed it. Like that's all there was. You want to watch Battlestar Galactica, ABC Sunday nights, eight o'clock, you know, now you can just watch like almost anything, anytime. So I think that there's like good things and bad things about that. Like, Derek, you're a binge watcher, right? Like, you're all for watching whatever, whenever. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I mean, the shows that release once a week, generally I prefer to wait until the season's over and then I can just binge them all at once unless they're like a cultural phenomenon. Like when Game of Thrones was out, you had to be on top of it because everyone was talking about it on social media and I don't like spoilers, so I didn't want to fall behind. But for any other sort of show, especially for like dramas and stuff, I usually just wait. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about waiting between episodes. Like for like back in the day, it made the shows more special in a way for me. Like it's like if you eat lobster every single night, eventually you get sick of lobster, you know? But when it's only once in a while, it's like more special, you know? It's like with with cartoons when I was growing up. Cartoons were special because they were on on Saturday mornings and that was it, you know? Anyway, the reason I wanted to mention this because my wife and I have been watching two shows on Apple TV. Ted Lasso and the aforementioned Shrinking. So she got me into this show. She's like, my wife is a social worker. So she's like, I want to watch this show. She really relates to it. And so this show is, it's it, it like, it's got Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford is in it. And then as you mentioned, Ted McGinley is in it too. And like, I was like, okay, I'm in. He, he was Roger on Happy Days, you know? Yeah. And he then the thing was Derek in this show, which I think is hilarious. And, and, and the thing I like about him in this show is he started with the show at the beginning, so he won't kill it. Like he did with Happy yeah. Days. He came on to Happy Days, killed the show. Came on the Love Boat, killed the show. Came on Married with Children, killed the show. So anyway, I don't want to talk about Ted McGinley. But what I want to mention is that both Ted Lasso and Shrinking only come out with a new episode once a week. Ted Lasso is every Wednesday and Shrinking comes out on Fridays. So I'm just wondering if this is going to be, it's like, is this going to be the start of like going back to the days when you have to wait for episodes? You know, at least you don't have to wait for them to complete a full season and then they all drop. Did Game of Thrones, you mentioned, did they do that? Didn't it wasn't like two years between episodes because they had to complete the whole season or? Uh, they were, uh, when they dropped, when they when they had a season ready, it was on a weekly basis, but it was, yeah, Sunday night. You had to you had to wait till Sunday for the new episode to come out. And just something else, it just this whole idea now has got me thinking. One of the streaming services, I don't care which one, but just one of them needs to really step up and offer Happy Days and Battlestar Galactica. Because you can't find those shows anywhere. At least not that I'm aware of. But that's well, you can watch want. Happy Days every day on CHCH TV 11 if you're in the greater Toronto area. Yeah, but I mean, for people that aren't, like, it would be really nice if you could get on, on the streaming service. Anyway, so that's what I want. I want, if anybody's out there that involved in the streaming services anyway, get Happy Days and get Battlestar Galactica. That's what I want. All right? So wait, anyway, Chris, you yeah. didn't tell us. What did you think of Shrinking? Are you enjoying it? Uh, you know, it, it took me a little while to warm up to it. The first couple episodes, I was like, eh, you know, whatever. It's more like my wife really relates to this stuff, and I, I didn't. Um, and I really started to like it toward the end. I really like the way the story arc goes and I don't yeah. want to give away too many spoilers, okay. but I love the way that he relates to the daughter and how she reminds him of, of his wife at the beginning in kind of a negative way. And then at the end, it's like more positive and it's just, there's like a lot of, it's about growth. And I thought it yeah. was quite, quite well written. And Harrison Ford kills me because I mean, the guy is like as iconic as you can get. And he doesn't really have, I don't believe when you look at him and you watch him perform that he has this incredible range of his acting, but every single role he plays, he's different. He's like, I don't sit there and watch it and go, that's Indiana Jones or that's Her or that's Han Solo. I, I, I yeah. don't do that. 
Yeah. He was Han Solo, but then when you see him in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're not like, that's Han Solo. No, he's Indiana Jones. So he has this ability to kind of be these different characters, and he's a completely different character in this. But yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and so yeah. all 10 episodes are done. Now I'm waiting for uh, season two to come. So maybe it's like the old days, and it'll come out in the fall, and every week a new episode will come out, and we'll just go from there. But Well, the new season of Barry starts, I think, next week, so... Oh, and that's starring my, my good to. buddy Henry Winkler. So I can't wait. That's ne- next week, you said? I think it's next weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's all. the final season of that show. So this is it. Season four and done. Ooh, that's good to know. So maybe I'll get on that. All right. Okay. So on that note, let's do this. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, I have a question for you. Why did the Star Wars movies come out in the order four, five, six, one, two, three? I, I'm sure I'm going to regret to hear the answer, but I don't know, Chris. Why? In charge of the sequence, Yoda was. Oh, man. You suck at those. <laughs> Rebo Williams, The Adventure Begins. I'm glad it's called The Adventure Begins. We're clearly going to get more adventures. It was an optimistically titled movie. It's uh, perfect if you are an 11-year-old boy. With a big old healthy dose of nostalgia. Oh, rescue me, male hero. I'm in danger. Oh, this is just like The Matrix. Only shitty. I felt bad for all the people that were attached to this movie. I'm 50, and I sure hope I don't look anything like Wilford Brimley in Cocoon. Oh my god, I got 90 more minutes of this. Okay, so like I mentioned at the top of the show, we've been spending a lot of time this season on the podcast going back and reviewing movies that are celebrating major milestone anniversaries. But we also like to pepper that, you know, with like a newer movie and a quote unquote topic between our film reviews. So this week it was time for us to do a topic. So we thought it might be interesting to take a look at some of the greatest ensemble film casts of all time. So Derek, do you want to like tee this up for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... So we were kicking around this idea and we talked about doing this for movies or TV and we realized that this is probably two episodes. So we'll do the TV one down the road. Um, But with the movie one, I think we needed to put some guidelines around it because like so many of our topics, they can be very broad. So I said, well, you know what would uh, what would make this a little more interesting is we don't want to we don't want to pick any movie that's a sequel because generally the sequels just build on the success of the first movie and of course all of these great performers want to be a part of a franchise so they all pile on so if you look at a lot of part two and part threes of successful franchises of course the casting and the ensembles get bigger and better so we wanted to rule that out and the other one was the marvel phenomenon so again iron man comes out got a couple of names in it but then as the movies start to come out and they start to really click and then they eventually come together for their big avengers movies like the the cast list is a who's who of of famous people in hollywood like it's ridiculous how many people you recognize that are brand names in this movies even in very small parts because everyone wants to be a part of it it's the it thing that's the easy pick for these kinds of discussions and i said okay let's avoid that let's avoid anything that's based on a comic book Let's avoid anything that's an established like franchise or sequel. Let's let's try and find things that are a little more original uh, because there's a lot of great examples. And so during the course of this uh, this week, when I was sort of doing the homework and put my list together, even with those caveats in place, I realized that there's there's often sort of a formula, if you will, around movies that have these great ensembles. Like we're not just looking for a movie where 
there's perfect cast because this is the challenge I had is I was typing in like questions into the internet search like movies with great casting and they were saying like this performer was cast in this role and they were perfect and that's great but we're talking about like larger casts like you know four five six seven eight great people in a film the whole film the whole film like the whole cast like the whole main everybody in it is like a who's who and they bring something to it and I, I found a lot of times these movies tend to be um things like war movies or movies where there's like conflict, like a lot of Westerns, a lot of war movies, things like that. World war two, tons of world war two movies where like, it's just a who's who up and down the list sports movies. Because again, if you're going to do a movie, mostly it's about team sports. Of course, if you've got to depict a whole team on camera, a lot of the team members, usually the coaches and their, and the players, girlfriends and things like that all end up being, sort of big names. So sports movies were another easy one where it was like, you could just do easily five sports movies that have great casts because the nature of the movie is such that you need all those people in it. Um, and then the other one was, um, holiday movies. A lot of like movies around Christmas and Thanksgiving, um, tend to have larger casts because they tend to have bigger gatherings, right? Oh, you've got Christmas dinner or you've got the Christmas concert or something of that nature. So, you you, you know, a lot of the holiday movies tended to, to be sort of easy pickings for this too. And then lastly, and this one is, is we're going to revisit it. Cause I know I leaned on this hard was comedies. Some of the best comedies are great because the casting is perfect. You have these great comedic performers given an opportunity to do something great and honestly, a lot of the best ensemble comedy movies you find out after the fact were ad-libbed like a ridiculous amount. But um, yeah, I just I, I found that, uh, um, you know, if you sort of took away the sports movies, took away the war movies, took away the holiday films, then you really had to find the 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 you know, the, the meat of this topic. So again, I don't we don't know each other's list. So I, I may have just stepped all over your list. And if I did, I'm sorry. But those were sort of things that that I had in mind. Um, and, that's, and that's fine. Like, I, I kind of did the same thing. I wanted to look at, you know, overall cast and things like that. But I did, you know, kind of creep in a couple comedies and stuff because that's my thing. Whenever we do these topics, one thing I want to mention, we usually like keeping things organized. So we, we usually put together a top five list. So that's what we did here. We did a top five list of our favorite movie casts. So, so Derek, do you, I'll let you kick things off. We'll start with number five and work our way up to number one. But before you get to number five, did you have any honorable mentions that just fell outside the top five? Yeah. Mention so those I'll, first before you do I'll, your number five. Yeah. Okay. So I'll basically I'll tell you the ones that that met all the criteria I just talked about. And okay. so I didn't put anything on the list. So my war movie was Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. It's a who's who. Mm-hmm. I left that mm-hmm. off the list. My sports movie was Any Given Sunday from 1999 with Al Pacino. This is, again, you look down the list of who's in this movie. There's a lot of great people that you probably forgot were in this movie in a significant way. Holiday film with a great with a great ensemble cast was Love Actually, which is one of my favorites. We watch it every year at Christmas. Again, it is a star-studded, packed cast. And, and a lot of the performers in that movie maybe weren't A-plus listers when the movie was made, but have gone on to have great careers. Um, so I left that one off the list. And then for comedies... I was sort of torn, but one of the comedies that almost made my list that I didn't put on was Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, the first Anchorman movie. And again, that's one of the ones where there was a ridiculous amount of ad-libbing going on, which is part of the reason that it has endured and that so many people love it. 
but it, it has got a fantastic cast of very funny people. So so none of those are on my list, but they were all shortlisted for consideration. So okay. what about you, Chris? Do you have any honorable mentions? Um, I do, actually. So two that kind of come to mind. One is a really old one. It's The Wizard of Oz. When I think of The Wizard of Oz, I think it's just so well cast. Right from the some of the munchkins, like the oh, the lollipop kids, all the way up to like Frank Morgan, who did like three or four different roles in the film. I thought The Wizard of Oz was just brilliantly cast. And I, th- I thought that was good. And one that has always stood out to me, and we've mentioned this movie on the podcast before, uh, good or bad, you know, this is an 80s, you know, comedy, Revenge of the Nerds. I think... The casting in Revenge of the Nerds is just outstanding. Everybody from Booger to Wormser to all of them, to Kashi, just, it's cast so well. Poindexter, love it. Up and down. I love all the bad guys. Ted McGinley is in that. Oh, yeah, there he is. Wow, he's, he's getting a lot of love on yeah, this show. Yeah, Stan Gable, Ogre. Like, they were all so, so good. So that one would be, but it didn't It didn't make my list of the top five. But those two kind of come to mind. But you want to start with your number five? What have you got? And then we'll, we'll yeah. work our way up to number one. Sure. Take so, it away. Yeah. So uh, honestly, the first couple on my list are comedies. Because good. there's just too many good ones good. not to have them on the list. But uh, I, I like figure it. we'll start we'll start light, we'll start funny, and we'll sure. move to more serious as we go down right. my list. And that was totally by accident. I also noticed after I finalized my list that uh, my oldest movie is from the early 90s, and and most of them are a lot newer than that. So I really don't think there's going to be any risk of overlap on our lists here. No, but, you know me. Yeah. yeah. All, they call All right. Old so, stuff, so. so my number five pick is the 2011 comedy Bridesmaids. Oh, uh, that's an written and starring one. Yeah. Kristen Wiig yeah. of former Saturday Night Live fame, and uh, it's got Maya Rudolph and um, uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, and uh, the mom from I can't remember her name off the top of my head. The mom from uh, the Goldbergs is one of the the bridesmaids in this. Uh, you know, you have this cast of very funny women uh, that have an opportunity to do what they never usually have an opportunity to do. This was a movie written by a woman starring a primarily all female cast doing the best, uh, you know, they're doing this, this fantastic comedy and they're given a chance to really just cook. Um, there's also a pretty decent supporting cast. There are a handful of guys in here that you're going to know and going to recognize, but it, this is all about the women in this mm-hmm. one. Um, and the guys in here are really just in here, to, you know, it's like set dressing, like John Hamm's got a small recurring part in it. Terry Crews is in it a little bit. So again, you've got, you've got some people you're like, Oh, I know that guy. But they're not the focus of this movie. This movie is all about the ladies. And as I was looking for strong ensemble pieces, most of the ones that had women were all old women. It was like Steel Magnolias and things like that, where it was a lot of old biddies. And I mean that in a nice way. But this was a wood one where it was like, these are real women doing real things that were funny as hell. And you believe that 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 this could happen and that this, you know, that these women were in situations that were totally believable. Um, I I just think this movie has a great cast. I think uh, it nailed it on the head and uh, yeah, my five pick. And that's a good pick. And Melissa McCarthy was nominated for best supporting actress in that movie. She was great. And two that stood out because my, my wife, I remember back in the day had me watch this movie. Two that stood out to me was Rebel Wilson. And then the guy that played her brother. And then they were like, yes. so odd. They would be like in the bathtub together and stuff. So, you know, very well cast. I thought that that's, yeah. that's a pretty that was good a great cast. Yeah. Wouldn't have come to mind for me, but, uh, you know, I like that one. Okay. So, you know me, I'm like older stuff. I'm going with number five, the blues brothers from 1980 but i want to break this down 
because I want to break it down into four categories of the cast for this one. So I love the cast in this movie. And it obviously starts with the two leads, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, two of my favorite all-time actors. So it starts with them. But there's like three other elements of the cast that I think make this movie really, really special. So there's the supporting cast. Carrie Fisher and Henry Gibson. There's John Candy, Frank John Candy, Oz, yeah. Paul Rubin, Steve Lawrence, Twiggy, Kathleen Freeman. She was the Penguin. They all bring something to this movie and they're all perfectly cast. So there's that. The second thing is the band. The members of the band are actual musicians. They're not actors. Mm-hmm. And, but that being the case, they all like, they're amazing in their roles. Like Matt Guitar Murphy and Donald Duck Dunn and Willie Two Big Hall, Steve the Crop Cropper. Murphy Dunn, remember Murphy and the Magic Tones? All these guys. And th- these guys are amazing musicians, but, you know, they also have speaking parts. And in some cases, they're actually really, really good in their roles. So I, there's that. And then finally, the movie also stars this whole ton of iconic musicians, most of which have speaking parts and are actually, like, important to the story. You know, like there's John Lee Hooker and Ray Charles from Ray's Music Exchange. There's James Brown is Reverend Cleophus James. Aretha Franklin is just amazing, amazing this movie. And the thing is, when this movie came out, all these sort of legendary musicians weren't all that famous at the time. I think a lot of people looked at these, you know, musicians at the time in 1980 and they kind of forgot about them. You know, they were just considered old. They were like washed up, right? And But appearing in this movie gave all of them sort of a second life, so to speak. Like all of them had their careers take off as a result. So I think for all those reasons, as a collective, the Blues Brothers, I think is one of the greatest ensemble movie casts of all time. It's number five on my list. Yeah, it's so, a good pick. Yeah, that yeah. was mine. So nice. number four. All right. Uh, we're going to stick with comedies. Okay. So you know what well, I just I like realized? It. As I'm looking through my list here, I said no sequels. This is a remake, um, so okay. in, in so I'm I'm allowing it because you know this is half my show, so I'm, I'm making the rules as we yep. go here. You can do whatever so you want. In 2007, mm-hmm. director Frank Oz made a comedy called Death at a Funeral, featuring a British cast. Okay. And then three years later, in 2010, the movie is remade in America featuring predominantly an all black cast. And that's the movie I'm picking is the 2010 version of death at a funeral. This cast is a who's who at the top of their game. It's Chris rock. It's Martin Lawrence. It's Keith David, Danny Glover. And then you've got Peter Dinklage, who this is pre game of Thrones. We got Kevin Hart, Tracy Morgan. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Did you say Peter Dinklage? It's a Dinklage. Nice. Yes, I did. Uh, Zoe Saldana, who has, you know, rocketed to superstardom. Luke Wilson is in it. Um, Ron Glass. Uh, Like this, this, this cast just goes on and on. Like every person who's in this movie, you're like, oh my God, look who it is. Oh, and that person. And it's, this movie's great. I mean, I thought the first one was good. And then when I saw this remake, I was a little hesitant because I'm always worried. I'm like, "Uh, did it really need to be remade? It's great. They bring a whole new perspective to it. Um, the Chris Rock, Martin Lawrence relationship in this movie is fantastic. I, 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 I don't want to say this is better than the original, but I think it is good and great in its own right for what it does. It, it, if you're going to remake a movie, it's like doing a cover song, right? If you're, if you're a rock band and you're doing a cover of someone else's song, you don't want it to sound exactly like the original. 
people will just listen to the original. You need to make it your own and bring some nuance to the cover that wasn't there before that puts your own stamp on it. This version, this US version from 2010 does that. And the casting is is a big part of why this worked so well. So my number four pick is Death at a Funeral, the 2010 version. Hmm. I, I got I to gotta admit, I don't even really know what that movie was. So you're educating me on all this new stuff. It's really good. If you can find this on the streamers, either version. But if you can find this one, the 2010 version, Ooh, cool. uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Nice. Like I say, that's your job. So I stick with the old stuff. That's my job. And I'm going with 1992's A Few Good Men. So Nice. Just last week, my wife and I were looking for something to watch on TV, and this movie was on, so we watched it. For me, I, I remember I saw this movie in the theater when it came out, and I've seen it a couple times since. I always felt like initially that the script was the strongest part of this movie. And then as I was watching it this week, I realized just how amazing the cast is. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So Tom Cruise. You, you can say whatever you want about the guy. And like Scientology has made him a, a nut bar. But the guy was an amazing actor. And and let me tell you, he was one good looking guy. <laughs> like we're sitting there watching it. And my wife is like, man, Tom Cruise was good looking. And I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like I'm straight, but Tom Cruise is so good looking. So and Demi Moore and Kevin Pollack are so good as the other two lawyers like, they just balance off that whole dynamic and the supporting cast. My God. There's, like, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, Cuba Gooding Jr., Noah Wiley, Christopher Guest as the doctor, J.T. Walsh, oh, the actors that played Dawson and Downing, and then Matt Craven, right, right before he starred in Meatballs. Matt Craven started out in the same theater company that I did back in Niagara Falls. You know, he was before my time, so I never met him or I never worked with him, but... This whole ensemble cast in this movie is just so good, you know? And then it just gets topped off with Jack Nicholson in this, like, over-the-top villainous performance. It just brings the whole thing together. This this movie is like an acting tour de force, you know? And one of the things that makes the whole movie so good is just this amazing cast. I love, love, love this cast. So that's my number four. Yeah, it's it's a great pick. It's so a great good. movie. The oh. the Aaron Sorkin script just shines, but the performances are so good. So and I've, I like you. I recently rewatched this like since the pandemic, like I think during the pandemic, mm. and I forgot just how good it's it is. So amazing. I think like most people, what would happen is it'd be on cable, and I'd jump in halfway through saying, "Well, we're going to come up to that final court scene that mm. you can't handle the truth." So I'm going to watch. So I've seen the end of this movie probably three times as much as I've seen the beginning of this movie. So I actually had a chance to sit down and watch it again from the beginning and. Yeah, you really realize how good it is start to finish. And the yeah. performance is as it go, like it starts out quite slow. It starts out almost yeah. like this isn't even going to go to trial. And then, you know, the, the the performances that they give are so good. And then it builds and builds and builds. Oh, so, 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 so good. So, all right. You're number three. What do you got? So you're not going to believe this. So, I, I again... I had a long list of about 15 or 20 movies and I short I shortlisted this to five about half an hour before we sat down to record. So I'm just now sort of taking in the list and I just realized my number three pick, just like my number four pick, is also a remake of a classic film. OK, so it's the remake of Ocean's Eleven. So the original oh, Ocean's Eleven. That's a good one. The original Ocean's Eleven had the Rat Pack, which in its own right had a, a good great draft. cast. Yeah. yeah, great cast. Uh, but I'm going with That's the new Sammy one, 2001. Yeah, 
Frank Sinatra? Like, come on. Uh, I'm going with the new one, the George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. Like, again, this is this is a who's who at the top of their game. And like, just think about the pedigree of as far as awards. George Clooney, Oscar winner. Brad Pitt, Oscar winner. Julia Roberts, Oscar winner. Matt Damon, Oscar winner. Don Cheadle, Oscar winner. Who did you say? Matt Damon. Your boyfriend. Yep. Casey Affleck, Oscar winner. Um, uh, Andy Garcia, I'm pretty sure is nominated for an Oscar. I don't yes. think he's won one. But like, it's amazing that all of these people who have been awarded all of these these uh, accolades could come together in one movie. And you, like, when I watch this, I don't necessarily just feel like, oh, this is a movie about George Clooney. Like, I mean, he's clearly the main character, but all of these other people have time to shine. They all have. I'm not equal screen time, but they all have their moments in this movie where they get to be the star of the scene or they get to be an integral part to a, a set piece. And uh, one of the things I love about this movie, which I do, I love this movie. I mean, it's about Vegas and it's about a heist. Like it has all sorts of things in it and it has Matt Damon. It has all these things in it that I love. Even guys like Elliot Gould and Carl yeah. Reiner. And like they bring in these iconic guys into these roles, like just so, so, so good. And then you've got Steven Soderbergh who, who directed this movie and and like they they just all feel like they're having a good time. Like mm-hmm. you don't get the sense that there's there's professional rivalry or animosity. I mean, there might have been. I don't think there was. I think we I don't heard think about so. it. I never heard but about you it. You know how sometimes you have these big movies where you, all you hear is, well, these stars clashed on the thing. I'm a bigger star than you. My trailer needs to be bigger than yours. Like I never heard anything about that with this cast. And there's a lot of big A-listers on here that could have very easily just said, well, you know, I'm an A-lister. I want X, Y, Z. But I never heard anything about that. Like this cast just seemed to fit the roles so perfectly. They seemed to get along on screen and off screen. And because they got along so well off screen, that seemed to carry forward on screen. You really got the sense that you were getting to know these characters and that they were actually genuinely had these relationships with each other. So this movie's great. And I mean, they did make two sequels out of it. So technically this sort of violates my rules of no franchises, but I mean, this wasn't conceived of as a franchise. This was supposed to just be a one-off. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this the cast in this is so just so, so good. But this does follow that example that in part two, they just piled on. Let's bring on some more superstars. And in part mm-hmm. three, they were like, let's just bring on or pardon me, Ocean 12, Ocean 13. Let's bring on more superstars, because by then people saw how successful the first one was. They heard how, how much of a good time the performers had. Of course, everyone wanted to pile on. So um, this is this. I'm going to stick with this one as my number three. Ocean's 11 from 2000. I like it. And, and, and the thing is with that movie, too, you think of it as being like sort of stylistic, the way it's directed. But it really is the cast that carries this, this movie. And not so yeah. much, the plot's great, and like all the way that they do it and the way they, they're, they're going to steal this money from these. It's so cool. But it's really the, the cast pulls it off, you know, and yeah. it kind of brings it all together. That's a good pick. I like that. OK, my number three, I'm going back, you know, like I like to all the way back to 1975. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nice. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, two yep. in a row for you. Back in on season two, I'm pretty sure it was of this podcast, I had Yancey watch this movie. He'd never seen I, it before. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, listen to I that remember, episode. He came away saying it was one of the best films he's ever seen. And I agree. Yeah, rightly so. It's amazing. Oh, my God. And, and the thing is, the majority of the film is just a group of men assembled in a circle talking about therapy and mental health and normalcy, yeah. if, if that's even a thing. I think Jack Nicholson gives the best performance of his entire career in this film. And that's saying something. But the movie's not just all about him. You know, I mean, if you think about it, like I read the book too, like when I was younger, and the book is based 
it's based from the perspective of Chief Bromden, is the way it's written. And But the thing is, it's how Jack Nicholson installs sort of life into each one of these characters. It's it's just this triumph of the human spirit. You know, the supporting cast, like Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd and Brad Dourif. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this film. Wow. Scatman Crothers, William Redfield, Will Sampson. So all the asylum patients are just so, so amazing. But Nurse Ratched, oh, Louise yeah. Fletcher, like so she good. just perfectly balances against Nicholson's character, McMurphy. It just makes the whole cast just tick. And now they both walked away with Oscars that year. So Nicholson won Best Actress. Rightly so. Oh, God, yeah. Louise Fletcher, Fletcher won Best Actress. And that doesn't happen often. Only three times in history has a film won all five major Oscars, which are Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. So I have a little trivia question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know the other Cuckoo's ones? Nest won yep. all five. Can you name yep. the other two films that also won all five top Oscars? Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs in 1991 is correct. Um, it's give a me a minute. One. It's going. So I know. Back. I know that just the, this year's Oscar, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, didn't have a male in the lead mm-hmm. category, but they swept all of those other ones which, and both support. Which, roles. by the way, I disagree with. I watched that movie and I mentioned it last week. I disagree. Um, K. Kwan won Best Supporting Actor. I think his was a lead role. I don't know why they put it in supporting role. His was a lead role, I believe. Yeah, but you, I don't think he would have won in the lead role. Maybe that's why they did it. Because up against uh, Brendan Fraser and the guy that did Elvis, he probably wouldn't have won. But anyway, that's debatable. Right. Back to your trivia, though. It was Cuckoo's Nest, Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Lambs. One more film won all five major Oscars. I'm trying to think of one where it was both the male and female. Like, I can think of movies where it's like directing, movie, script, and actor, but it's the one that has the actress that's stumping me. Can you give me was the Oh, I don't know. Gone with the Wind. It happened one night. Sure, it did. That's the only other one Capra's film. So, okay. I don't know. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, though. Overall, amazing cast. It's my number yeah. three. So, no, I think that's great a good pick. one. All right, on to your number two. One. All right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to a, a a stage play that was converted to a movie, totally dialogue driven, and this is the kind of thing that that performers love to just sink their teeth into because they can they can show off. Sure, they demonstrate why they are great at their craft in ways that they may not always get to do, especially if they're doing like an action movie or special effects movie or something. And I'm going with 1992 Glengarry Glen Ross. Ooh. Written by David Mamet. We were just talking about Aaron Sorkin. Here's another amazing writer, David Mamet. Glengarry Glenn Ross, dialogue-driven piece. The cast on this is just bananas how good it is. It's Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Alan Arkin, Ed Harris, Kevin Spacey, Jonathan Price. Um, this, this, these guys are like they they literally they carry this movie. It's if you haven't seen this or you haven't seen it in a while. These are sales agents that are like making cold calls to people to try and get them to buy, I think, timeshares, if I remember correctly. And the movie practically entirely takes place in the office where they're just talking to each other and and yelling and screaming. Alec Baldwin has that, uh, you know, that great scene where he comes in and he's talking about, you know, ABC always be closing, which they parodied on Saturday Night Live. Right. Where he's always be cobbling, where he was talking to the Santa's elves. Uh, These guys just. They, they give some of the best performances of their life. Like, I, I think arguably this could be Alec Baldwin's best single performance. I think his his performance overall on 30 Rock was as a body of work 
fantastic. But but this movie, he just comes in. Think of it like we were talking about baseball earlier. It's almost like he comes in like a relief pitcher. We only need you for an inning or two. And he just comes in. He does his thing and he gets out. And you're like, what did I just witness? Like, <laughs> he was amazing in this. And then you have the veterans. You have Jack Lemon and Alan Arkin who, you know, they've been around the block a bunch of times. But they still, they bring it every scene they're in this movie. It's, uh, yeah, this movie is just ridiculously good. Uh, the performances are just outstanding, and uh, I, I had a chance to rewatch this not too long ago, and uh, it it holds up so well. It is just such a tour de force, and you could argue that the writing is so good that anyone could just step in and do these things. But my God, if you get the right people, and did they ever get the right people with this one? It brings it from an A to an A plus plus, and this is an absolutely A plus plus. Some of the best casting out there, best ensemble, no question. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Good pick. And one guy that actually provided some voice work for that movie was Murphy Dunn. And he was from the Blues Brothers. He was Murph from the Magic Tones. Did some work on that one. Yeah. Nice. So, okay. Number two for me, I'm going with Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice. I mean, what, what can you even say? I mean, Pulp Fiction is probably the greatest American film of the last 50 years. I think only maybe the Godfather can hold a candle to it. Like I would even go back as far as Citizen Kane in 1941 as another great American film. I think those three are probably the three greatest American films ever made in my opinion. But I think that's, I think that's a very strong case. You could make a very strong case for that. I certainly wouldn't argue against it. Pulp Fiction is one of my all time favorite movies. It makes my top five list. You always talk about your top three favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction used to be in my top three. It's definitely in my top five without question. I've I've probably seen it 150 times or more. I won't go into the details of how and why that came together. I've done that on previous shows. It was just on TV a couple of nights ago. I watched it in its entirety. Like, I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. When you uh, I was glad you put it on your list because I really struggled about not putting it on my list. And we'll figure that why in a minute when I get to my number one. But anyway, this is your pick. Talk about it. Well, the thing with this movie, I think, is all the glory usually goes to Quentin Tarantino. And and rightly so. I mean, his script and direction are just perfect. Like I mean, perfect. But I don't think enough love goes to the cast. So, like I say, Tarantino's script is is amazing and, and his direction kind of pulls the whole thing together. But the cast is what breathes life into this film. The movie is obviously about the underbelly of American society. And, and each and every member of the cast just brings a different texture to that whole, you know, thing. I love how basically every character in this film is a bad person. And the, the, oh, only, yeah. the only one you could say is maybe like sort of quote unquote innocent in the whole film is Bruce Willis's girlfriend. So they make oh her God. out to be this like sort she of is awful in this movie. dumb and inconsequential character. Oh. And it's almost like done on purpose. Like, you know, I think you could probably write a master's thesis on this film cast. I'm sure some people probably have, you know, but it, it, it's not my place to get into it too much here. There was just so much to talk about it. But let's just say. Pulp Fiction, one of the greatest movie casts of all time, number two on my list. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine anybody else in any of these parts. This is one of those ones where when you read the trivia and they go, well, "These are people that they considered," and you just shake your head, going, no. "That just wouldn't have worked." Yeah, I mean, the only, the only part, having just watched this again, the only part of Pulp Fiction that in my mind doesn't hold up um, is just the the Tarantino's character of Jimmy. He says yeah. some things in his scene which in the moment in the 90s was 
treated a little differently than it would be today. And so that's a little rough to watch that scene now. But um, other than that, yeah. This movie and even is. the way he delivers his lines and stuff, he can tell he's not yeah. an actor. He's not a trained actor. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, it, and it comes off because, I mean, he's in a scene with these two heavyweights, three heavyweights, really. Oh, yeah. Because Harvey, Harvey Keitel's there. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so, yeah, it really stands out. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, yeah. But right. overall, number two for me. So you yeah. so we're going to go to your number one, but I'm, I'm really curious to know because you mentioned Pulp Fiction would have made your list except for your number one. So what yeah. is your number one and why? Why does that come into play? Well, so I wanted to put one of the reasons I didn't put Pulp Fiction is because my number one movie came out very like within a year or two. And so in my mind, they sort of are like partner movies. Like I, I, I tend to I, I tend to watch both of them when I'm in a certain mood. And again, it's a movie about despicable people. This one is Boogie Nights from 1997. Oh, Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Again, you love that th- film. Love this movie. This makes probably not my top five, but definitely my top 10 all time favorite movies. Um, again, we'll just start with the cast since that's the topic of our show. And uh, although these people weren't necessarily a plus listers when this movie was made, so many of them have gone on to have outstanding careers and many of them have gone on to win Oscars since their roles in this movie. And I think that just speaks to the, the casting of the movie that the casting directors obviously saw things in these performers when they put them in this movie that other people then finally started to see as well and they were given opportunities so you have uh mark Wahlberg and burt reynolds as sort of the main two mark Wahlberg has since been nominated for an oscar for the departure um and or the departed pardon me Mm -hmm. um and uh was it the departed yeah and uh, burt reynolds was nominated burt reynolds nominated for an oscar for this film arguably I, i like i would argue that this this is the best dramatic work he did in his whole career that again, that might be a hot take, but as someone who maybe hasn't isn't that familiar with his early early work, he was fantastic in this and rightly deserved this nomination. Uh, Julianne Moore as the female lead in this, she's gone on to win an Oscar. You got John C. Riley in this, who was nominated for an Oscar. You got Don Cheadle, who ended up winning an Oscar. Two with Don Cheadle, he was in Ocean's Eleven earlier. Um, mm-hmm. William H Macy nominated for an Oscar. Like the the you know you get all these people in here who have had this recognition after this. You have Luis Guzman, who, although he's never been nominated for an Oscar, Good has had yeah. a ton of praise uh, thrown upon him over the years. And you have Heather Graham as Roller Girl, who I think is overlooked because of this immense cast. But, uh, you know, she's not just there to be eye candy. Like, she does a great job in this. Um, and and then afterwards had to, has gone on to do great things as well. Um, but, yeah, this movie doesn't work if the casting doesn't work. Like, it's about the behind the scenes of, of the porn industry in the seventies and eighties. And with a topic like that, that's a tough sell. And you got to think this was nine, this was 1997. Like this is still pre-internet when people can't just get pornography on their phone. Like pornography was still very taboo at that time. And so to have a mainstream movie about the porn industry where there was a lot of very graphic scenes, like not mm-hmm. full on sex scenes on screen, but a lot of nudity and a lot of things that maybe in, you wouldn't discuss in polite company shown in this movie. Like, th- how do you get people into a theater to see something like this? Well, you have a cast like this where people realize, you know, this obviously has to have a certain amount of gravitas. It has to be done tastefully. It has to, you know, if it doesn't have those things, these performers wouldn't be in it. But you know that by having these performers in it, like they bring some of that to this movie and they nail it. No pun intended. 
some of them actually do. Um, it's just it's so good on so many levels. And uh, there's another one that I, I go back and watch pretty regularly. This one's pretty long, though. Like, I think it runs two and a half hours. Actually, I have it right here because I got the IMDb page open. And sometimes on the rewatch, it does feel a little long. Yeah, two hours and 35 minutes. There are definitely some scenes that I will, you know, fast forward through a little bit. But um, the casting on this is just like this. This movie wouldn't work if the cast wasn't this good. Uh, you know, it would have just flopped. People would have not, people wouldn't want to be seen going into a theater to watch this movie. But this, this movie, I just can't say enough good things about it. And it's the cast. If without the cast, this movie doesn't work. So, and yeah, even with some of the smaller think. parts, like you, I, I, did you mention Philip Seymour Hoffman? Like even no, I, I, so I totally good. forgot yeah, another Oscar he winner. Was so good in there. Like yeah. and he's had a really small part, but he's just so believable. And like, yeah, like you say, the behind the scenes, of the whole thing, it was good. That's, I think that's a great pick. Yeah. This, this, I knew that I knew that I wanted to put Boogie Nights on my mm. list. And I thought, I don't think I can put Boogie Nights and Pulp Fiction on the right. list together. I figure they're not the same movie by any means. They were a couple years apart, but they sort of both sort of fill a similar kind of uh, a similar kind of seat on the bus where it's like they they both deal with characters that you might not normally want to have anything to do with. It's like, almost sort like, of that, like I said, like that underbelly of American society, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to look at. And and difficult to cast, but when you nail it right, you know you nail it, and they definitely did. So no, that's a good yeah. pick. I like it. No, I'm actually curious what your number one is because I'm Ooh. like I knew I, I was glad you had Pulp Fiction, but yeah. I was a little surprised you had it at number two. I'm like, I know. What do you think had a better cast than that? If you say Meatballs, this is the last podcast I'm going to do. <laughs> You're going to quit, are you? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going with this. Might be a little bit surprised, maybe not. I'm going to go with 1985's The Breakfast Club. Wow. Okay. So back on the very first episode of this podcast, if you go all the way back to July of 2016, Yancey and I each had to pick a movie that best represented our respective generations. Yancey went with The Matrix. Good pick. And I went with The Breakfast Club because I thought The Breakfast Club represents Gen X perfectly. And one of the things I always liked about this film was its simplicity. It's like watching a theater play. Just yeah. kind of like you mentioned earlier. It's five students in detention for a day. There's literally no action. It's all dialogue. It's this intense character study. But it's not just an, a character study of these characters. It's a character study of an entire generation. How do you do that? You know? Well, you start with an amazing director, John Hughes, and a rock-solid script. But without the right cast, this movie would not work. And this cast is absolutely, literally perfect. Because not only does each one of these actors represent a clique that we, you know, we can all relate to that from high school. Yeah. Well, I hell, know, at the end of the movie, they, they literally call out yes. what they all represent. Yeah. You know, but they collectively then represent Gen X, you know? Yeah. And that is a lot to shoulder for any cast. But this cast just does it with ease, you know? Or at least they, they make it look easy. Uh, yeah. Like, Important like, distinction. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you laugh with them, you cry with them, you grow with them all in 97 minutes. And the only other two characters that are really in the film are the janitor, who is Canadian, John Capellos. He's a, he was always a huge casting favorite. He was in all of his mm -hmm. movies. And then the teacher, the one and only Paul Gleason. Mm -hmm. They're the only two sort of adults in the film. It's seven people. That's it. It's just absolutely perfect. And Paul Gleason was just perfectly cast. He didn't do a whole lot else, if you think about it. He played always the bad guy. Die Hard especially in trading places as Clarence Beaks. And oh, then yeah, he's in, in trading movie. places. I forgot yes. about that. 
And in this movie, he was obviously Mr. Vernon. But I think if, if you look back at each and every one of the seven actors that appear in this movie, to an actor, this is their best work. And that's saying something, I think. So yeah. this, this movie yeah. represents Gen X to me. And the heavy lifting in this movie goes to the cast. So it's my favorite movie cast of all time. So that's my that's my argument for this one. So okay, I'll give it to you. No, yeah. that that you you know so you I, definitely the casting is great and definitely the movie is great and I I like the way you framed that. So mm. no, I I will forgive you for not putting Pulp Fiction at number one because I think knowing who you are, that definitely is more of a crisp pick. So good yeah. pick. And, and and you're glad that I didn't put Meatballs at number one. But let me tell you, oh boy, I was tempted. I was well, I was a little surprised you didn't have <laughs> Ghostbusters on the list. I, I was going to put that on my list, but I thought, eh, Chris will probably hit it. But I guess with the Blues Brothers, you sort of touched on that. Yeah, I kind of went there with those kind of comedies and stuff, so yep. I decided to kind of back off that. But uh, All good. All uh, good. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, my friends, since we're talking about amazing movie casts this week, what better way is there really if you step back and think about it what better way to gauge how strong a cast is than the amount of critical praise that they received right okay and one way we've always measured sort of artistic success at least in hollywood has been the oscars so here's what we're okay. going to do i'm going to mention the title of a movie and i'll also tell you this is going to be it seems like it's difficult but i'm going to tell you the acting oscar nomination categories for the cast that that movie received. Every one of these movies has multiple Oscar nominations. Okay. okay. Had to be an Oscar nomination for that particular film. Not like it was an actor that was nominated previously or something like that. So then you have to name all the actors that were nominated for the film. It seems like it's complicated, but just, just bear okay. with me. No, I think okay? I know where you're going with this. Okay. So I'll start with an easy one. We're going to start with yep. The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. In 2013 was nominated yep. for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Yep. Who are they? Leonardo DiCaprio, best actor. Mm -hmm. And um, Jonah Hill, supporting actor. Got them both. That's right. Okay. So you can see this pretty easy. So yeah, American okay. Beauty well, in 1999 oh. was nominated for best actor and best actress. Can you name them? The best actor? Is uh, Kevin Spacey. Yes, and he actually and he won. won. He won. Yeah. Yes, and best actress. And, um, yeah, she was pregnant when she got. Uh, it was um, Annette Bening. Yeah. All right. Here's one of your favorite movies. You may be watching on the podcast. Gladiator from 2000 nice. was yep. nominated for best actor and best supporting actor. Yep. Who were they? Uh, Russell Crowe for best actor, and he won. He did, and he won. Yeah, and best supporting actor for uh, Gladiator. Phoenix. Yes. See, you're doing so well. Okay. All right. Another movie that we did on the podcast from 1973, The Exorcist, or as I like to call it, The Eggs-Orcist. Best uh -huh. Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Can you name them? I can't name any of them. My goodness, we just did it, like, not that long ago. Best Actress was, was nominated, was Ellen Burstyn. Best supporting okay. actress was Linda Blair. Linda Blair. That that was the only one I was trying. To, I'm like, I'm not gonna come up with their name fast. Best enough. supporting actor was really hard because it was Jason Miller as the Exorcist himself, and it was like really his only real movie role. So, okay, I'm gonna bring things up to kind of modern times for you. All right, here we go. And a movie that we've already mentioned, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, 2022. Yep. Best actress, best supporting actor, and there were two 
two Best Supporting Actress oh, yeah. nominations. Best Actress yes. was? Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, she won. Best Supporting Actor, of course. Uh, best Supporting Actor we already talked about was uh, the, the kid from Goonies or what the heck was his name? Uh, Ki-Hu Kwan. Yes. Best Supporting Actress. There were two of them. Can you name them? Uh, I can only name the winner, which was Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep, she won. Yeah, I, I, it was the, the other woman was the one who played the daughter. I, I honestly right. don't know her name. It was Stephanie Shu. Stephanie Shu. There you go. Okay. We're going to go back to 1989 with Driving Miss Daisy. Driving okay. Miss Daisy okay. had okay. three acting nominations. <laughs> best yep. Actress, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor. Any idea who the best actress was? Uh, was it Jessica Tandy? She won. She won that yes. year. Yep. Yeah. Best actor. Uh, actor. Well, it had to be the the chauffeur, Morgan Freeman. That's best supporting actor. A little bit of a curveball I'm throwing at you. Who was nominated for was best supporting it actor? Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, one of my favorite actors of all time, yeah. was nominated for best supporting yeah. actor. All right, we're gonna go back to 1999. The sixth. Sense. Oh, good. Was pick. nominated for two acting nominations. Yep. Best Ooh. supporting actor and best supporting actress. Who okay, are best supporting actor was the little kid at the time was uh, Haley Joel Osment. Yes, that's correct. Um, and I got a supporting think, actress. I got to think the best supporting actress was the mom. I'm trying to think of who played it. Was it Tony Collette? Oh, very good. <laughs> yes. Okay, 2004, Million Dollar Baby. Nominated for three acting awards, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor. Okay. Can yep. you name them? Uh, I think I can. Supporting Actor was uh, the winner, Morgan Freeman. Yep. He won. Uh, actress was the winner with Hilary Swank. And yep. then I got to think lead actor who didn't win was Clint Eastwood. That is correct. But he okay. did win for directing that year. He did. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to 1980 with one movie that I made you watch on this podcast, Raging Bull. Raging okay. Bull was nominated for three acting awards. Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Can you name them? Uh, I can't name the, the supporting actress. I have no idea. But the other two, it's going to be Robert De Niro, who was the winner for the lead actor. Mm-hmm. And I gotta think it was Joe Pesci for supporting actor. It was. And the best supporting actress was Kathy Moriarty. Sure. Kathy Moriarty. Okay. 1982, Tootsie. One of my favorite movies of all time. Three acting nominations. Best actor. Jeez. And two of the cast were nominated for best supporting actress. One of them won. Hmm. Can you name any of them? Obviously. Yeah. Uh, Terry Garr. Oh. Did she win? Terry Gard did not win. She was nominated, okay. but she did not win Best Supporting Actress. All right, hold on. The other one was, oh, I can picture and I can't think of her name. Give me a minute. I'll come back to her. Uh, the lead actor was Dustin Hoffman. I think oh, did he win. Yeah, he did not win. No, he lost out to uh, to Ben Kingsley in Gandhi. Right, for Gandhi. Yeah. And the, the other, winner. sorry, was Supporting Actress I'm looking for or Lead Actress? Supporting Actress, yep. Up against Terry uh, Gard and Peter. Same film. I honestly can't even remember who the other women It wasn't Je Gina Jessica Lang. Jessica, Jessica Lang. Lang. That's, I can picture her in my mind. And I couldn't think of her Tootsie. name. And the last yeah. one is a little bit difficult, but oh man, I love this movie. Sideways from 2004. Oh, nice. Was nominated for two acting awards. Best Supporting Actor, mm -hmm. Best Supporting 
actress. Best mm-hmm. supporting actor, who got the nomination? Uh, from it had to be Paul Giamatti. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was, it was Hayden, Thomas Church, Hayden Church. Uh, Hayden, Thomas Hayden Church, yes. yes. As soon as I said it, I knew it was wrong. Yep. And the best supporting uh, actress? Was uh, Madsen. I can't think of her first name. Yeah, which is Virginia Madsen. Virginia who I Madsen. still think to this day might be one of the single sexiest women I have ever seen in a film performance in my entire life. Yeah. Virginia I, Madsen I, in Sideways. Oh, my God. She was just something else in that movie. Gosh, yeah. I, they just did a, a rewatchables on mm-hmm. uh, on that like a few months ago. I, honestly, I hadn't really I even thought of that movie since it came out. And then I listened to that podcast a few months ago and I'm like, I got to revisit this movie. I it forgot. Was it was really good. good. Yeah. Oh, God, it was really good. I remember when it came out. It was just a little tiny movie. And I remember yeah. I went to see it in the movie theater thinking, like, what is this? I heard a little bit of buzz on it. Like, you know, it seemed like something up my alley. Of that man. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. But like I say, Virginia Madsen, that film. Oh, my gosh. I tell you. Oh, she was something else. God, she was nice. good in that. All right, so you did really good. I, I, that was a really tough one. I had a yeah, lot. Yeah, there was a few that I you. didn't know. Just uh, again, I'm usually really bad with performers' names, so I was glad you. They, most of those were new-ish movies, mm-hmm. like movies that came out since I was a moviegoer in the theater. But yeah, the one I missed was the one that was older that I mm-hmm. I only recently watched for the first time. I thought you might get some of those. So yeah, I thought you did really good. So uh, next time uh, that we come back, we're going to go back to reviewing a movie, celebrating a major milestone. I think it's going to be over to you, Derek. So why yeah. don't you, you pick a year, like a, like a number of years that for the mm-hmm. milestone and pick a film and then uh, we'll go from there. What do you got? All right. So the last time around we did this, we did 2003, which was a 20 year anniversary. Yes. This time around, we're going to go back a decade to, or we're going to go back an additional decade to a 30 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. We're looking at movies from 1993. 93. Okay. Love it. So 1993 was the year I graduated from high school. That's how far back I'm going. Yep. It was my first year of university. This is 1993. Uh, the movie I want to watch, I do not believe you've ever seen it, but we have talked about it a few times on the podcast, and I really hope that you're going to enjoy it. It's the Ivan Reitman comedy, Dave. I have starring, never seen it. Never seen Kevin it. Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver, oh. along with Ben Kingsley, who we just mentioned, yep. and, and a cast of who's who. Again, this has a pretty good cast in it as well. This is... A night like it's a great it's a fun movie and you got to remember from 1993 it's it's very I'll call it innocent because um, it deals obviously with politics and uh, and the White House and the presidency it was a different time 30 years ago and this this comedy this is a good feel good one so I hope you like it I know you're a big fan of Ivan Reitman's work and oh, yeah. Um, yeah no this is good and I've reached out to uh, to a friend of the show who really likes this movie and i've asked them if they'd be willing to come on with us next week so if the scheduling works we may have a special guest to uh, to talk with us about uh, about this movie so just another reason to listen in yeah we're going back 30 years and we're going to take a look at dave from 1993 and we may or we may not have a special guest joining us so that sounds pretty exciting so i think that's a great one and then after we review that then and then i'll pick something from 1993 so i gotta start thinking about that right now so that sounds really good so i tell you what until next week this is chris mcbrien on behalf of myself and derek myers and this is pop culture world the pop culture podcast for the generations Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.